Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today to gather together and to hear from your word. I ask that you would speak through it. I thank you for the opportunity to read what tells us about you and your great and wondrous work in this world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection. May he be magnified in all we do today. Speak to our hearts. Help us to hear from you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as we think about worshiping God with our whole heart, we are going to look at one of the Psalms of David, who was himself a wholehearted worshiper. In 2 Samuel 23, the very first verse, David is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he wrote many of the psalms in the book of Psalms found at the center of our Bible. Reading the psalms is like reading the prayers of David. And David's prayers covered such a range of emotions and topics. Sometimes he wrote psalms of jubilant praise, like Psalm 8, which begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But he also was willing to present God with his questions, like in Psalm 13, where he writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In Psalm 22, David wrote in despair, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus made these words his own on the cross as he echoed David before yielding up his spirit. Sometimes David needed to come before the Lord to ask forgiveness, as he wrote in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I wonder about you and me during this current season, or for that matter, in all seasons of life. Perhaps you're feeling a range of emotions right now on a wide range of topics. Perhaps there are days where you break into jubilant praise at the beautiful sunset or the birth of a new baby in your family. But perhaps there are other times when you feel overcome by your questions for the Lord, like, How long, O Lord, will this pandemic last? How long will the hardships of my life last? Perhaps sometimes you feel abandoned and you think, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Perhaps sometimes you need to ask the Lord for his forgiveness, and you say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, or create in me a clean heart, O God. The Psalms demonstrate that a life lived with faith in God is a life lived with a range of experiences, expressed in a wide range of emotions and prayers. The Psalms of David and the Psalms in general demonstrate that there is room in our relationship with God to express the breadth and depth of our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and experiences. And we can do so knowing that we have good company with King David. Referring to the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is probably for this cause that David's Psalms are so universally the delight of experienced Christians. Whatever our frame of mind, whether ecstasy or depression, David has exactly described our emotions. He was an able master of the human heart because he had been tutored in the best of all schools, the school of heartfelt, personal experience. As we are instructed in the same school, as we grow in grace and in years, we increasingly appreciate David's psalms and find them to be green pastures. 
My soul, let David's experience cheer and counsel thee this day. That's just what we're going to do today. We're going to allow David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he wrote Psalm 103, teach us about what it means to worship God with our whole heart. You know, we get so much of our language of worship from the Psalms of David and the Psalms in general. So many of the words that we sing to the Lord originate in the Psalms. Think about, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. That's a psalm. Or, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. That's a psalm. Or, create in me a clean heart, O God. Also a psalm. As we look at Psalm 103, it is no exception. You'll recognize the words of this psalm from some of the songs that we sang earlier today. Let's read the first five verses of Psalm 103, and then we'll really focus on the first few verses as we see what the Lord tells us about his desire for wholehearted worship. Psalm 103 begins, Of David, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, let's go back and look at the beginning of this psalm, which begins with, Bless the Lord. So what does that mean? What does it mean to bless someone or something? I don't know about you, but sometimes I can assume I know what a word means, especially if it feels like such a commonly used word like bless, but then when I try to define it, I find it a little harder than I expected. So let's look at some of the ways that the word bless is used in the Bible and see what it tells us about what it means. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. So God makes the human race, male and female, and then he blesses them. We don't even get out of the first few chapters, the very first chapter of the Bible, and God has blessed something, namely, humanity. And then just a few verses later, in Genesis chapter 2, we read, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Did you hear it? God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Very quickly we see in these two examples, God blessing humanity and the seventh day and honoring them, esteeming them, giving them his stamp of approval. And that's part of what it means to bless, to honor, to esteem, to affirm. Later in the book of Genesis, we see an example of one, one human blessing another human when Isaac blesses his younger son, Jacob, although Isaac was actually intending to bless his older son, Esau. Do you remember the story? Here's how that story begins in Genesis chapter 26, and it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, 
such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So it is Isaac's intent to bless his son Esau, but as you know, it doesn't work out that way. With the help of Rebekah, his mother, Jacob, the younger son, pretends to be Esau, brings his father a delicious meal, and then receives the blessing instead of Esau. That sets the context for what Isaac says in that blessing. When it comes right down to the actual blessing itself, Isaac speaks these words over his son. May God give you the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. We see in this pronouncement Isaac's desire for his son's well-being. Isaac desires favor for his son. That's also part of blessing, showing favor for someone else. Honor, esteem, affirmation, and favor. As we continue to look at Psalm 103, though, there's another meaning of blessing that emerges. Before we continue, though, to Psalm 103, let's look really quickly at one more psalm, Psalm 104, the one that comes right after it. If we turn over to Psalm 104, we read the same words that begin Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if that were the topic sentence of a paragraph, or in this case, a poem or prayer, listen to what follows. After bless the Lord, O my soul, comes these words. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Those sound like words of worship to me. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And the rest of the psalm goes on to give many reasons for and examples of God's greatness, which brings us to the additional meaning for bless. While blessing can be demonstrated in affirmation, esteem, and favor, when it is directed to the Lord, it can also mean worship. And that's just what we see right here in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And it's worth noticing that these words are expressed as an imperative, as a command. But who is David talking to? Who is he commanding? Well, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's actually commanding himself. He's telling his own soul, bless the Lord. Do you ever talk to yourself? Maybe you stand facing your clothes in the closet in the morning and you ask yourself, what should I wear today? Maybe it took longer to get ready for the day and as you head out the door, you look at your watch and you say, you're going to be late. Or maybe you've been running or biking along a challenging route, and as it gets harder and harder, as you strain towards this new goal that you have set for yourself, through the sweat and the exertion, you tell yourself, you encourage yourself, you can do it. See, there are lots of instances in which we talk to ourselves. Well, in this case, David is talking to himself, and he says, Self, bless the Lord, bless the Lord of my soul. Then David goes on to expand how he should bless the Lord. He writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me. Think about that. All that is within me. What is all that is within me? That's my thoughts, my emotions, my joys, my sorrows. 
All that I am, that's all that is within me. And it reminds me of the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. To love the Lord with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all of our might is to love the Lord with all that is within me. That is wholehearted worship. Then in verse 2 of Psalm 103, David gives us a variation of what he told us in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then David proceeds to list many of those benefits. God is the one who forgives our iniquity. He is the one who heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with his steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us with good such that our youth is renewed like the eagles. When we think of the ways that God has blessed our lives, what does it make us want to do? To thank Him? To worship Him? To bless Him? Have you thought about that before? Did you know that we can bless God? Think about it. We have looked at examples where God blesses humanity, blesses His people, even blesses the seventh day of creation. We have looked at examples where a father blessed his son. But in Psalm 103, we see that we can bless the Lord. And we do so by remembering and thanking Him, praising Him, worshiping Him for who He is and for His many benefits. Last week, we focused on one of the great benefits that God has lavished upon us, that of reveling in and declaring His extravagant love, and how He has shown His love in countless ways. From the air that we breathe, to the food that we eat, to the roofs over our head, He has provided for our every physical need. And he has also provided for our every spiritual need by giving us his word, the Bible, and by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sin and the one to reconcile us with God the Father. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9-10 says this, that in this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his own son into the world, that we might live through him, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's greatest demonstration of His love was expressed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sin would have separated us eternally from God, but God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. When we recognize what God has done out of his extravagant love for humanity, we are motivated to respond in love as well. And that is worship. With all that is within me, my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Let all that is within me bless the Lord. That is wholehearted worship. I wonder how you might bless the Lord today. When you think about what the Lord has done in salvation history, or for you personally, what wells up within you? Gratitude? Thanksgiving? You can bless the Lord by expressing that gratitude and thanksgiving back to Him in worship. In fact, I would encourage you to do so right now, wherever you may be. When you think of the verse that we read that said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, what benefits or blessings has the Lord showered upon your life? 
take a moment to thank Him, to worship Him, to bless Him. Perhaps there is a benefit that the Lord would want to give that you have not yet received. And that's a relationship with Himself by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If that's the case, if you've not received Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life today, it can be that day. If you sense the Lord calling you to a relationship with Him, you can respond to that invitation and receive Jesus into your life today. Remember, He is the one who forgives our iniquity, our sins. He is the one who heals our diseases, who is the one who redeems our lives from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. For these reasons and more, let us bless the Lord, O our souls, and all that is within us, bless his holy name. That is wholehearted worship. I appreciate Pastor Bryce is going to come and close out our time today by pointing us to the emerging value of Tiberon Baptist Church of wholehearted worship. Thank you, Steve, for helping us understand and see afresh the posture of a worshiper. The posture of a worshiper. The scripture says, all that is within me, bless his God's holy name. That is the posture of a worshiper. That is the impulse of worship. It's wholehearted. It's not half-hearted. It's not uh, uh, muted. It is wholehearted with all of ourselves. When we are grasped by God, and when we grasp how much we are loved by Him, the only natural and fitting response is to worship God. One of TBC's six primary values uh, that we are being is being proposed is this wholehearted worship, responding gratefully to God through passionate prayer, Bible-honoring congregational worship, and a personal lifestyle. Of worship. Now, this is the value that's uh, made a little more dense than the others, and uh, I want to spend just a few minutes with you unpacking some of the terminology that uh, helps understand what this value is intended to be. Wholehearted worship. First is that it's a response. You see, it's not us coming first to God. It's a response to that the fact that God has come first to us. God has done something in the cross of Jesus. And our worship now is our response back to God for what he has done for us. God loves us. He has given us Jesus. And he calls us into the full life that he offers us through Jesus. So first, wholehearted worship is a response to what God has already done for you and to you. Second is that it is a grateful response. It's not a humdrum, ho-hum, taking on in between your response. It's a grateful response to God. You see, gratitude is a decision. The older I become, I'm more and more convinced that gratitude is a decision that I make deep in my heart and deep in my mind. I choose to be grateful. I'm grateful because when I worship I'm grateful and I'm responding gratefully to God because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of what he's promised and made real for me and you in the future. It's a decision to be grateful. My gratitude must not, let me say that again, my gratitude must 
not be submerged in the cares of life. My gratitude must not be submerged when life is carefree and I have a tendency to forget God. I am grateful no matter what the season is. No matter where God is leading, I choose to be grateful. So wholehearted worship is choosing to be grateful and responding with a grateful heart back to God. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, uh, he is writing as he is in prison because of his faith. He, because of his profession of Jesus, he had been put in jail. And from that jail cell, he pins the letter. And he writes, even because he's in chains, this is what he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, the Apostle Paul would not allow his gratitude, his focus on God, to be submerged by the cares or the carefreeness of life. That is the posture that a worshiper has. Wholehearted worship for us means that we respond gratefully to God. Wholehearted worship for us in this church, uh, it, it involves passionate prayer. The scripture says that uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. So worship at its core is a response of prayer and a dialogue with God. It involves a Bible foundation. The Bible is our book. There is no other book. That's why we preach from the Bible, we teach from the Bible, we look at the Bible, and we listen to God speak to us through the Bible as His great revelation to us. It also, wholehearted worship also involves togetherness. This is why we talk about congregational worship. Worship, uh, most of the time, most frequently in the Scripture, is describing corporate worship. It's togetherness. It's sharing worship expression Together, And even though we may be separated physically for a time like we are now, we can still gather together online and share these moments and experience worship of the living God together. That's wholehearted worship. Finally, this morning, this day, uh, wholehearted worship, it envelops our whole life. It envelops your whole life. Here's what I mean by that. It's not wholehearted worship just on Sunday only. You hear what I'm saying? It's not that Sunday's rolled around. Sunday's my church day. Sunday's the day I gather with, with the folks uh, uh, in front of my TV or my computer. Or when I'm able, I go to the church building. It's not just a Sunday only idea. It envelops our whole life. Worship is intended to be an everyday experience and expression of your life. What about Monday at lunchtime? Are you worshiping? I hope you are. Is your heart worshiping God? How about Wednesday afternoon? When you get that midweek lull, does your heart cry out in worship? Do you honor God in your work, even in the middle of the week? How about Friday night or Saturday night and the choices that you make? Uh, do you affirm Jesus being number one in your life, the first priority in the first place of your relationship? Over the next six months, will your life be filled with evidence that you honor and esteem the living God and you walk closely with Jesus? That's, that's 
It's the lifestyle of worship. That's what we mean. That's why we've added that. It's important to come together regularly and to not abandon our regular practice of worshiping God together, whether uh, online in, in this uh, moment where that, that's uh, been thrust upon us. And when we're able to be back in person, I hope you will be and make it a priority of your life again to gather back together in person so that we can together worship God. But it's also about a lifestyle of worship uh, at 24-7, uh, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year kind of thing, not just uh, 52 Sundays a year. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a lifestyle of worship. What do you do with your money? Are you worshiping God? What do you do with your body? Are you worshiping God? Uh, how do you treat people? Is an evidence of your worship of God. That, that's what we're talking about. It's a discipleship, worshipful lifestyle. Wholehearted worship is a second value that uh, we're sharing with you today. Responding gratefully to God through passionate prayer, Bible-honoring, congregational worship, and a lifestyle of worship. I pray that you're blessed as you go back this week and you marinate yourself, you meditate upon Psalm 103, you think about this, this value of wholehearted worship, and you ask God to allow you the joy and privilege of worshiping together with brothers and sisters in a regular way, and also in, embed yourself in a, a lifestyle of worship where every facet of your life reflects that you honor and esteem and you edify God in all that you do. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to focus ourselves upon worship, to think about what it means to ascribe worth to you. That is what worship is about. And so, God, I pray that this day those hearing the voices of Steve and myself will, will hear more than our voices. They would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking, drawing that you would guide us in our worship expression to you, that it would be wholehearted and every part of our life would be dovetailed into our worship life. We pray now in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen.